Well, the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona, Spain, is the largest unfinished church in the world. Uh, construction is scheduled to be completed in 2026, and when it is completed, it is expected to be the tallest church building in the world. However, what the Sagrada Familia might be most famous for is the fact that it is unfinished. That construction has not been completed. You see, construction of this magnificent church began in the year 1882. Yes, you heard that right. 1882. Why has it taken so long for this church building to be finished? One of the reasons is that the Sagrada Familia has relied on private donations to fund the construction. Uh, So money has not always been available for the construction to move at a faster pace. They could only build as fast as money came in. Another reason is that they've gone through a number of architects. And also the original building plans for the church were lost in a fire, had to be reconstructed as best as they could from other available records. Well, the Sagrada Familia stands as something of a contrast to the tabernacle of the Lord. It's the tabernacle that we're going to be studying again this morning, a topic so nice the author of Exodus decided to include it twice. You can go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 35. Uh, We're going to be on all the way from Exodus 35 through the end of the book, which is in chapter 40. And this morning we're going to look specifically at the construction of the tabernacle. Now, the, the long history of the construction of the Sagrada Familia makes you appreciate what happened with the tabernacle even more. One, there were no plans that were lost with the construction of the tabernacle. Instead, it was built exactly according to the Lord's instructions. Now, that will not be true with the Sagrada Familia. It will be far different than what was originally envisioned. Not so with the tabernacle. And the construction of the tabernacle was also completed in just six months, not 150 years. Now, you might say, well, the tabernacle was just a tent, even though it was a very elaborate tent. And the Sagrada Familia is an immense structure. Well, that's true. But just consider the history of Israel for a moment. This is a people who just a few months previously were rescued from hundreds of years of slavery in Egypt. They were wandering nomads in the desert. What capability and what resources did they have to even make this tent? Well, it turns out quite a lot. Because as we will see in these verses, God himself provided the people with everything they needed for the tabernacle. He gave them the plans. He gave them the skills and the abilities they needed for the construction. And he even gave them the materials needed for its construction. But we also see the amazing reality that the people, the people of Israel, freely gave of what the Lord had given them in order to see the tabernacle constructed. The reason it only took six months is because the people brought willingly, they gave willingly of their resources and their time and their talents so that the tabernacle would be constructed. The people gave of their money and resources, they gave of their time, they gave of their energy, and they gave of their talents. And in doing so, they revealed their love for the Lord. That's the emphasis of these chapters this morning. It's the gracious provision of the Lord to the people of Israel and the response of those people who were the recipients of God's grace. So the main idea is this. Give everything to the Lord because he has given everything to you. The main idea for you, brothers and sisters, give everything to the Lord because he has given everything to you. 
I have two points to the sermon this morning to help you consider that idea. You can find this outline in the back of your bulletin. The first is give generously to the Lord. The second, the Lord has given generously to you. Give generously to the Lord. The Lord gives generously to you. So first, give generously to the Lord. Now, as we come to Exodus chapter 35 and the construction of the tabernacle, it's Israel's idolatry with the golden calf that is still very recent history. Now, as we saw last week, God graciously responded to Israel's idolatry by forgiving them and renewing and restoring his covenant relationship with them. They were faithless, and yet God was faithful to them. But it is therefore Israel's sin and God's great mercy in response to Israel's sin that set the context for this passage today. The question is, well, how would the people respond to God's mercy? How would the people respond to God's mercy? Would they once again disobey and abandon the Lord? They respond in a different way. Let's look at the text for our answer. Let's look at Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 1. Moses assembled the entire Israelite community and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. For six days work is to be done, but on the seventh day you are to have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on it must be executed. Do not light a fire in any of your homes on the Sabbath day. Then Moses said to the entire Israelite community, This is what the Lord has commanded. Take up an offering among you for the Lord. Let everyone whose heart is willing bring this as the Lord's offering, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram skins dyed red and fine leather, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onks with gemstones to mount on the ephod and the breastpiece. Let all the skilled artisans among you come and make everything that the Lord has commanded. And now skip down to, to verse 20. And then the entire Israelite community left Moses' presence. Everyone whose heart was moved and whose spirit prompted him came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its services and for the holy garments. Both men and women came. All who had willing hearts brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and all kinds of gold jewelry. Everyone who presented a presentation offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who possessed blue, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, or goat hair, ram skins dyed red, or fine leather, brought them. Everyone making an offering of silver or bronze brought it as a contribution to the Lord. Everyone who possessed acacia wood, useful for any task in the work, brought it. Every skilled woman spun yarn with her hands and brought it, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And all the women whose hearts were moved spun the goat hair by virtue of their skill. The leaders brought onks and gemstones to mount on the ephod and breastpiece, as well as the spice and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. So the Israelites brought a freewill offering to the Lord, all the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord, through Moses, had commanded to be done. Well, friends, Israel, the people of Israel were now a people that did not just know what it was like to be rescued and redeemed from their slavery in Egypt. They were a people who now knew the seriousness of their sin and what it was like to be forgiven and restored by the Lord. And they responded to the Lord's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness with grateful hearts. They generously gave to the work of the Lord. 
They devoted themselves to his service. They responded in obedience. We see in these verses that the people of Israel are a people who had been transformed, at least for a time. They were a people who had been transformed by God's grace and love and forgiveness. Look again at verse 5. Did you notice that when God commanded Moses to take up an offering for the Lord, he only commanded those whose hearts were willing, those whose hearts were willing to bring an offering for the construction of the tabernacle? Now, friends, imagine for a moment that your boss at work said, I only want employees who have willing hearts to come to work tomorrow. I'll pay you regardless, but only those with willing hearts. Or, kids, if your teacher said, I only want students who have willing hearts to show up at school tomorrow. Your grade will be unaffected, but I only want those with willing hearts. Well, what do you think would happen? I kind of doubt your shop would open. I don't think the teacher would have all that many kids to teach. But amazingly, it seems that virtually the entire nation of Israel freely brought an offering for the construction of the tabernacle. They had willing hearts. Verse 22, both men and women came. All who had willing hearts brought brooches and earrings and rings and necklaces. Those things that they had brought to make the golden calf, well, they were now bringing to make the tabernacle. Verses 23 and 24, those with fabric and yarns and silver and bronze or acacia wood brought it. Verses 25 and 26, every woman with the skill to spin yarn or goat's hair did it. Verses 27 and 28, the leaders brought gemstones and spice and oil. So we see the conclusion in verse 29. So the Israelites brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts prompted them to bring something for all the work that the Lord through Moses had commanded to be done. Now friends, the people did not have to be compelled to give. They gave freely and joyfully and willingly. Their giving was an act of worship to the Lord. And look down at Exodus chapter 36, verses 4 and 5 for a moment. And this is what is recorded. Then all the artisans who were doing all the work for the sanctuary came one by one from the work they were doing and said to Moses, The people are bringing more than is needed for the construction of the work the Lord has commanded to be done. The people gave so freely and generously that they had to be told to stop giving because they had brought so much for the work of the tabernacle. Uh, friends, this is what Christian generosity looks like. This is what it looks like to overflow with thanksgiving for what the Lord has done. This is what it looks like to respond in worship for God's mercy and his grace and his salvation. And church, do you have any less reason than the Israelites to overflow with thanksgiving for what God has done for you? Well, I think not. The answer is that you have far more reason. You are a people who have been redeemed and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered and died for you while you were yet his enemies. If you are a Christian, you know the grace of the Lord. You have been transformed by the grace of the Lord. You have been given new hearts and eternal life. You have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. So friends, what should your response to the Lord be? We just read something about it a few moments ago from 2 Corinthians. Call that verse from 2 Corinthians 9-7. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, 
since God loves a cheerful giver. A Christian, God gives you virtually the same command that he gave to the people of Israel here. Give cheerfully and generously and willingly to the work of the Lord, not out of compulsion. Now, kids, have your parents ever forced you to, to say thank you to someone or maybe to, to give your toy to a, another child? Adults, have you ever gone to a shop and when you come and when you're paying, maybe at the hypermarket checkout, they ask you point blank if you want to contribute to some charity? That makes you feel pressure to contribute, does it not? Other people are watching. You're going to have to say no out loud if you don't contribute to that charity. I think we often feel pressured to give in those situations. But that is not how the Lord wants our giving to be. He wants our giving to be done cheerfully and with a willing heart. Not because someone like a parent told us to. Not because a store employee put pressure on us to give. The church, the truth is God does not command that you give any certain percentage of your salary to the church. But he does command that you give cheerfully and generously as you've decided in your heart. That's not a command that lets you off the hook. It would be wrong to think, oh, since God hasn't told me how much to give, giving's not really that important. Or, you know, I don't really feel like giving, so I guess that there is no need to give. I need to wait for my feelings to catch up. Now, God's command to give cheerfully and willingly and generously is a challenge to you. It's a challenge to ask, how much has God given you? How much has God given you? Now, friends, the answer to that is everything. Now, therefore, the command to give cheerfully is a challenge to ask yourself, how grateful am I for God's provision in my life? How eager am I to contribute to his ongoing work in the world? How much do I desire to see his name and his glory proclaimed? How committed am I to his service? Brothers and sisters, your giving to the Lord is an act of Christian worship. There is a reason that we collect our offering during our service. We're not trying to make you feel guilty like the people at the hypermarket checkout asking for a charitable contribution. In fact, to, to my knowledge, no one at the church has any idea what any person gives to the church. We do not track it. No, we collect the offering in our corporate worship service because rightly understood, giving is a joyful act of worship to the Lord. It's in our worship service because giving is an act of worship to the Lord. Now, now friends, as I say that, I know that some of you here earn very little money. And so I want to encourage you with those very same words I challenged you with a moment ago. God does not command that you give a certain percentage or a certain portion of your salary to the work of his kingdom. God is not concerned with any amount that you give. God is concerned with your heart. You may be only able to give a very little, and some of you may not be able to give at all. And that is okay. Because I also want to encourage you with the truth that there are ways other than money to give to the Lord. There are ways other than money to give to the Lord. Now, you should evaluate whether you can give financially to the Lord, but there are other ways to give, and we see that in these verses as well. Israel certainly did give of their money, but they gave in other ways as well. They gave of their time and their talents to the Lord. 
Look with me, starting in verse 30 of Exodus 35. Exodus 35, 30. Moses then said to the Israelites, Look, the Lord is appointed by name, Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. He has filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, understanding, and ability in every kind of craft, to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, and to carve wood for work in every kind of artistic craft. He has also given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahizamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has filled them with skill to do all the work of a gem cutter, a designer, an embroiderer in blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen, and a weaver. They can do every kind of craft and design artistic designs. Bezalel, Aholiab, and all the skilled people are to work based on everything the Lord has commanded. The Lord has given them wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work of constructing the sanctuary. So Moses summoned Bezalel, Oholiab, and every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom, all whose hearts moved them, to come to the work and do it. And what we see in the following chapters, if we were just to read the rest of Exodus 36 all the way through 39, which we're not going to do because that would be the rest of the sermon, well, we see that the, the people did the work of building the tabernacle. These skilled artisans did the work of constructing the tabernacle. They gave to the Lord the skills and talents and time and energy that the Lord had given them. They used these things to build the tabernacle. But more than that, we see that the people gave the Lord their hearts and their obedience. This is what the Lord was after. Nearly 20 times in these chapters... Nearly 20 times in these chapters, if you were to read through Exodus 36 through 39, it says the people did just as the Lord commanded. They built this element of the tabernacle, just as the Lord commanded. They built that element of the tabernacle, just as the Lord commanded. It's just repeated over and over and over again. And in fact, chapters 36 through 39 that describe the building of the tabernacle are basically identical to the instructions given for the tabernacle in chapters 25 through 31. It's like you're simply reading the exact same thing over again. And so you have to ask, well, why? Why are these instructions just repeated over again? I think it is just hammering home the point that the people did exactly what they were commanded to do. Look at Exodus chapter 39. Exodus chapter 39, verses 42 through 43 for a moment. After the work on the tabernacle was completed, Moses inspected the work, and these verses give the summary of what he found. The Israelites had done all the work according to everything the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected all the work they had accomplished. They had done just as the Lord commanded. Then Moses blessed them. Friends, the giving of the Israelites was an act of worship. But so was their obedience. Their giving was an act of worship, but so was their obedience. A church, should we not also desire that someone could sum up our lives with those words? We did just as the Lord commanded. Wouldn't it be wonderful if that was the phrase that was written on our tombstone? It could be said of you, be said of me, that we did just as the Lord commanded. Remember those words of Jesus. If you love me, you will keep my commands. 
If you love me, you will keep my commands. Friends, I want you to notice one other thing from these verses. Everyone was involved in the construction of the tabernacle. Both men and women brought offerings. Both ordinary Israelites and the leaders of the Israelites brought offerings. Those who had great wealth, gold and gemstones, and those who just had wood or yarn brought gifts to the Lord. Again, it was not about any amount they gave. It was about the attitude of their giving. Both men and women gave of their time and talents in construction of the tabernacle. God gave Bezalel and Oholiab particular gifts for the construction of the tabernacle. But we also see in Exodus 35-34 that he gave them the ability to teach and equip others to do the work as well. But what we get is a picture of the whole community. Everyone involved in some way in the construction of the tabernacle. Brothers and sisters, this is a beautiful picture of the body of Christ. This is a beautiful picture of what the church is to look like. If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me in them to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, so a long way to the right uh, from Exodus. Uh, In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, this is the well-known passage of Scripture in which Paul talks about the fact that the body of Christ, the church is made up of people with different spiritual gifts. We are different. We have different gifts. We have different talents. But we are to all use our different gifts in the service of the Lord. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 14. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Friends, you do not need to wish that the Lord had given you a certain talent or a certain gift or a certain amount of money to be able to give. The Lord has arranged each part of the body just as he wanted. And you can serve with that that the Lord has given you. Friends, that's what God calls you to do. It's give of what you have. It does not matter whether that is great or whether that is small. This is what the Christian life is is all about. Friends, every time we have a potluck for the the church at our house, I am so encouraged to see so many people pitching in and bringing what they can. Some people bring a lot of food, some people bring a little, some aren't able to bring anything at all. A potluck is certainly not the most important part of the Christian life. It's not even an essential part of the Christian life. But it is a small picture of the body of Christ in action every time that we have a potluck. The same is true of our Sunday morning service. So many people are doing so many different things to make the service happen. Whether it's running slides, setting or cleaning up the meeting hall, running sound, teaching kids, leading, singing, and a host of other things. We do not all serve in the same way. Everyone's contribution is needed. Friends, if you're a member of the church and you would like to serve and do not know how, just come talk to me. 
I'd be happy to try to find a way for you to serve. In fact, we're in need of childcare volunteers right now. Friends, it is, a, it is a blessing to serve the Lord. And brothers and sisters, one of the main ways that you can serve the Lord and serve others, well, it is simply to show up each week to the service. I don't know if you noticed, but Exodus 35, Exodus 35 begins with a command for all people to observe the Sabbath. No matter what skills they had or talents or material resources the Lord had given them, all were called to willingly and joyfully devote themselves to the worship of the Lord one day every week. A Christian, God similarly calls you to regularly gather together for corporate worship. We do this as an act of, of joyful and eager worship to the Lord. But you also do it to serve your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the wrong question to ask when you're thinking about coming to church each week is, what will I get out of it? What will I get out of it? That's the wrong question to ask. Worship is not primarily about you. Worship is not primarily about you. It is about the Lord first. We're to overflow with thanksgiving for what the Lord has done. But we also gather each week to worship, to serve one another. You serve others by being present, by talking to them, by singing with them, by praying with them. Your mere presence is an encouragement to, to other brothers and sisters. Maybe you're struggling with something, and yet your fellow brothers and sisters see you here worshiping the Lord anyway. Well, maybe that's going to be an encouragement to them in a time that they're struggling. Maybe the Lord brings you here to give a word of encouragement to a brother or sister who is struggling, or to pray with them, or to learn of a need that you might be able to meet in their life. Friends, worship is not primarily about you. At best, you're third in the list. The Lord is first, others are second, you come somewhere else. Corporate worship is not primarily about what you can get out of it. It's about what you can give. Well, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, the Apostle Paul lays out a compelling vision and summary of the Christian life. Brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Well, friends, that's what true worship is. It's what Romans 12:1 says. It is to give your very life to the Lord. It is, allow, it is to allow Him to use you in any way that He chooses. He has been merciful and gracious to you. He has called you and redeemed you. He is your creator. Your worship is to allow him to use you in any way that he chooses. You're to be like the knights or the warriors in the movie who like, come before the throne, they come before the king, and they bow down and pledge their allegiance and even their very life. So church, take stock of your life. Ask yourself, are you serving the Lord with your material possessions? Are you serving the Lord with your talents and with your time and with your energy? Are you laying down your life with a willing heart? Are you laying down your life with a willing heart? Brothers and sisters, give everything to the Lord. Because as we are about to see, the Lord has given everything to you. That's the second point of the sermon. The Lord gives generously to you. 
Friends, you can joyfully and willingly give everything to the Lord because he has given everything to you. What I want you to see from these verses is that the Lord provided Israel with everything they needed to follow his commands, just as he has provided you with everything that you need to follow his commands. Friends, the only things that you can ever give to the Lord, the only things that you can ever give to the Lord are things that he has already given to you, whether that is money, time, energy, or talent. There's nothing you can give to the Lord that he has not first given to you. This was certainly true of Israel. Remember, Israel was a nation that had been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. But in Exodus chapter 38, verses 21 through 34, or through 31, excuse me, we find an inventory of that which they brought for the construction of the tabernacle. And we find that they gave almost 7,000 kgs combined of gold, silver, and bronze for the tabernacle. Much was given. It was a lot. But if they had been slaves for so long, well, where did all the gold, silver, fabric, and other materials for the tabernacle come from? Well, if you turn back to Exodus chapter 11 for a moment, you'll see. So Exodus 11, verse 2, when Israel was just about to finally leave Egypt, so they're still in Egypt, this is what the Lord commanded the people of Israel to do. God tells this to Moses. Now announce to the people that both men and women should ask their neighbors for silver and gold items. And then if you skip ahead to Exodus chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, we find this. The Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold items and for clothing. And the Lord gave the people such favor with the Egyptians that they gave them what they requested. In this way, they plundered the Egyptians. Friends, it was the the Lord that provided the Israelites with everything they needed. These 7,000 kgs of gold, silver, and bronze did not come from the Israelites. It came from the hands of the Lord. And God did not just provide the, the Israelites with the material resources they needed either, but with their talents and their abilities. Again, look at Exodus 35, 31. It was God who filled Bezalel and Oholiab with his spirit and with wisdom and with understanding. And with ability. Exodus 36 2. Moses summoned every skilled person in whose heart the Lord had placed wisdom. Friends, the, the Lord gave the people of Israel the skill and the wisdom that they needed to accomplish the task. He equipped the people, He equipped the people for that which He called them to do. He gave them the skills they needed to accomplish His purposes. And of course, it was God who gave Israel the instructions for the tabernacle itself. He gave them everything they needed to accomplish the task. Church, there is a wonderful encouragement in that for you. The Lord equips those that he calls. The Lord equips those that he calls. He gives you what you need to accomplish his purpose in your life. If you feel inadequate for the task that God has given you, if you feel ill-equipped for the place or the position that God has placed you, if you feel as if you are not strong enough on your own, well, take courage. You're probably not. You are not equipped and you are not strong enough. But God is. You are not sufficient in and of yourself. But the Lord is. 
When God first appeared to Moses in the burning bush and called him to lead the people of Israel out from Egypt, well, do you remember what Moses did? He said, I'm not sufficient. God, please send someone else. But then God gave everything Moses needed. He gave Moses everything he needed, the courage he needed, the wisdom that he needed, the boldness that he needed, the leadership ability that he needed. Brothers and sisters, we are often not sufficient for the task that the Lord has called us to do. And sometimes it's the Lord's intention for us to fail, that we learn that we're not sufficient for the task that he has called us to do. But we can rely on the Lord, because the Lord can equip those he calls. You can rely on him. Friends, modern society, so much of modern society says that we are responsible for our own success. That's what it tells you. Just pick yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, you can be a success. You are responsible for your own success. You should be proud of your own accomplishments. You have only yourselves to thank for anything that you have accomplished. But friends, that's simply not true. It is true that the Lord gives us opportunities and time and talents and energies and resources. We have to steward those things. We have a responsibility to steward those things and not to squander those things. But your success is not due to your own efforts alone. What do you have that you did not receive from the Lord? Whether it's an opportunity, talent, whether it's time, or whether it's resources. The truth is that everything you have comes from the hands of the Lord. Friends, I want you to notice one more thing that God gave to the people here. Turn with me to the end of Exodus. Exodus chapter 40. We're gonna, I want to read verses 34 through 38. And I want you to see that the, the most important thing that God gave to the people was that he gave himself to the people. The Lord gave himself. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 33. The next, Moses set up the surrounding courtyard for the tabernacle, an altar, and hung a screen for the gate of the courtyard. So Moses finished the work. In other words, he finished the work of setting up the tabernacle. The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was unable to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud rested on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Israelites set out whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle throughout all the stages of their journey. If the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out until the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and there was a fire inside the cloud by night, visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. Friends, this is the high point of the book of Exodus. What everything has been building towards. God coming to dwell with his people. His rescue from from Egypt was not the end of the story or, or even the final goal. His goal was to be with his people. He rescued and, and redeemed his people that he might have relationship with them, that he might dwell with them. And friends, I'm not sure that we have a better picture in the Bible of the blessing of following the Lord's ways or the blessing of obedience. To live under God's rule, to live according to his ways, is to invite his blessing. And is that not what we see here? 
Israel was faithful to do everything that the Lord commanded. And as soon as the Israelites and Moses had finished doing all the work for the tabernacle in just the way that God had commanded them, God's glory descended on the tabernacle. He came to dwell with them. Friends, what grace from the Lord. Now, do you think anyone in Israel regretted giving of their gold and silver and bronze in order to receive the presence of the Lord? I do not think anyone thought, you know, I I really wish I had that gold necklace back that I gave for the work of the tabernacle. I really wish I had that silver bracelet, the silver bracelet back that my neighbor gave me. That one was really nice. You know, before we spend money, sometimes we ask, will it be worth it? That ice cream looks good, but is it worth the price? I like that dress, but will I regret spending that money later? Friends, I guarantee you that when God's glory descended, no Israelite regretted the money or time or the effort that they had devoted to the building of the tabernacle. They gave of themselves to secure a far greater reward, the presence and the glory of the Lord. Well, listen to these words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 16. Verses 25 and 26. Matthew 16, verses 25 and 26. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world, yet loses his life? Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, I want to be abundantly clear that the Christian life is one of sacrifice and suffering. The Christian life is not easy. It is not always easy to follow Jesus. But it is worth it. Jesus calls you to give up your life, your your dreams and your desires and your ambitions in order to follow him. He calls you not to be devoted to your own good and your own glory, but to live for his glory instead. He calls you not to serve yourself, but to serve others. This is not easy but it is worth it because whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will actually find it those who repent and place their faith in Jesus find true life abundant life they find peace and joy and satisfaction but above all they find eternal life they find the Lord himself the Lord comes to dwell with them And they have the promise of living with him for all eternity. And to you, Christian, I hope you already know this by experience, that you will not regret any of the time and effort and money that you spend in the service of the Lord. I mean, who is more worthy of any of those things than the Lord? Brothers and sisters, give everything to the Lord because he has given everything to you. And Christian, you can give everything to the Lord in the confidence that the God who has given everything to you already will continue to supply all of your needs. The God who has already given everything to you will continue to supply all of your needs. You can be assured that God will continue to give everything you need to live a life of faithfulness you can be assured that God will continue to make every grace abound to you. And the reason for that 
It's because he has given his very son for you. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He, God, did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Friends, the proof that God is continually willing to make every grace abound to you is that he has given his son for you. He gave the eternal Son of God, the one who is full of the the glory of God for you. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus has been raised for you that you might have eternal life. Brothers and sisters, it is not your own obedience or your own giving or your own efforts that has secured God's presence for you. No, it was the gracious gift of God. Your salvation did not come from you. Your salvation has not come because you are so good or you are so great. It is the gracious gift of God. Friends, God has indeed given everything to you and will continue to give you everything. And so you can give everything to him. Look again at Exodus chapter 40, verses 36 and 38. God's presence stayed with the Israelites throughout their journey. He led them and guided them by a cloud or by fire, and he was visible to the entire house of Israel throughout all the stages of their journey. His presence was with them all the way to the promised land. He did not leave them, and he did not forsake them. And brothers and sisters, is this not the same promise that God has made to you? That God's presence is no longer visible for you. But you have something far better. You have his indwelling spirit who has made his home in you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He will be with you every step of the way. Through every trial and every difficulty, through every storm, through every joy, through every, through every wonderful thing that happens in your life, through every hard thing that happens in your life, the Lord will be with you every step of the journey until you arrive safely in your eternal home. And God will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. Yes, sufferings will come in this life. There will be trials and temptations. But God has promised to give you everything that you need. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. My friend, God calls you to walk in obedience. God calls you to walk in obedience. But he has given you his word that you might know his commands. He has prepared the good works ahead of time for you to walk in. He has given you his spirit to empower your obedience. He calls you to be holy as he is holy. But he has given you the righteousness of Christ. He commands your sanctification, but he sanctifies you by his spirit. You can now walk by the spirit and not by the flesh. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now at work in you. God has given you a new heart and a new nature that you might live a life of devotion to him. Oh, friends, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? He has given you everything you need to know him and to obey him. 
He has given you everything you need to serve Him and to enjoy abundant life with Him. So Christian, give everything to the Lord. Because the Lord has given everything to you. Let's pray.